to bring you greetings from a sister church in Honolulu, Hawaii. In Hawaii, Pastor Jonathan Steeper, there's a greeting that we normally say in Hawaii called aloha. And aloha can mean hello, goodbye, I love you. It's a, it's a greeting of warmth and I, I would like to invite you to share in that greeting with me. So this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say aloha and that's your cue to say it back to me with some feeling. <laughs> All right? Are you ready? Aloha. Aloha. Jamie, that's a thumbs up, wasn't it? <laughs> it happened in 1996. On a morning I'll never forget, I was putting the finishing touches on my radio broadcast manuscripts. And suddenly the phone rang. It, it was my father. Dan, he said. Mom had a heart attack. I fell to my knees. And I prayed. I said, Lord, have mercy on mom. You have to understand that I've, I'm the youngest of four children. My parents had it all planned. They had my siblings every two years. And then eight years later, I arrived. The surprise child, the baby of the family, and my, my mother lived up to that call of taking care of her, her baby. She spoiled me. My siblings would complain. they say, Mom, Danny doesn't do anything in the house. He never empties the trash. He doesn't clean the bathrooms. He doesn't do anything. You do everything for him. How's he going to make it in life? And she told them to be quiet. <laughs> He's my baby. And I'm going to raise him the way I want, she says. She knew I didn't like milk, so she bought ice cream. <laughs> Always packed ice cream in the freezer. So when my mother had her heart attack. You know, she had a number of ailments throughout her life. She, kidney, high blood pressure, all kinds of ailments. I got up from the floor and I, I rushed to the bedroom where Jamie was and, and our, our daughter Allie just celebrated her, her first birthday we picked her up, we rushed into the car, rushed to emergency. And when Jamie dropped me off, I, I ran through an emergent, the emergency doors, the, auto, the electric doors, took a turn. As I went through, I saw that the captain of the fire team, who was there to take care of my mother, he was a family friend and he, he said, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Danny, your mom went home. I knew exactly what he meant. We embraced. He had tears in his eyes. I was still in a bit of shock. I rushed through another set of doors and there I saw my father. 
We hugged, and I said, Daddy, where's Mom? Where's Mommy? He pointed to a room where they had her body, and I went through that door, and I saw her. Everything was so quiet. There she was, all alone. I, I cradled her head, and I kissed her. And I said, oh, Mommy, I love you, Mom. I love you. And in that moment, I forgot that I was in a hospital. And uh, I started to pray. And I said, Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving Mommy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving Mommy. Thank you, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because now I know one day, one day, Lord, I'm, I'm going to see her again because now I know she's with you, and there she will always be. And folks, at that moment, my life narrowed to a single point. See, we, act, we actually live distracted lives, don't we? We're like, we're like Martha. We, we, we are bothered and worried about so many things where very few things are really important. And at that moment, nothing else mattered but that my mother had a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I have, a, I have a, a message on my heart today, and I, I want to read from the text from Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses from this text, but let me share a bit of context. Because we're living in a troubled time in America. We're living in a troubled time globally. But, but in America, especially after COVID, there are rifts, there are divisions, there are fractures, there are cracks in our society. And dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, these rifts, fractures, and cracks have found their way into the church, into the body, into the local church. There are are tensions that are felt. And yet the scriptures have a word for us in this moment. There was, a, there was a, a phrase that the, the reformers used during that critical season of history. They would say, ad fontes, ad fontes, back to the source, back to the, the scriptures, back to the fountain, the purity of the word of God. Now I suppose that there's a desire in, in in our hearts, from one degree to another, as believers, to want to be more and more like Christ. So if we ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus come? It really is not a question of why do you think Jesus came, nor should you be wondering, Danny, what what, what do you think Jesus' purpose for coming was? No, no, we, we, we can go to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. That's the Zacchaeus story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And a wee little man was he. 
climbed upon up to the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. No, no, that, 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 that's not this, exactly what it says. That's the, that's the childhood song translation version of it. But at the end of that, and I want you to get this now, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a place of conflict, of turmoil. That was a place of death, but also the gospel, life, and resurrection, the hope for the world. But as he came to Jerusalem, he says, for the Son of Man, because the Pharisees were saying, well, look at Jesus. He's hanging around with all these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, for the, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus echoes throughout the centuries. You want to know why I came? I came, came, came to seek, seek, seek. The lost, lost, lost. And so we come to Luke 15 because there is a question beneath the statement. And the question beneath the statement is, what does it mean, Jesus, to seek and to save the lost? In other words, we're asking by those words, what is the fabric or the layers of the essence of what it means to seek and save the lost? He says, well, there I have it, Luke 15. Jesus discloses to us within the same type of framework of tension because people are wondering why is he hanging around such sinners. He says in verse 3, he says to them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until... He finds it until he finds it. Put that in a special place in your heart until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he goes on to talk about the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner, one sinner who repents. And then the parable of the lost son. We're going to spend some time there. The son asks his father for his inheritance. Essentially, he says, Dad, could you please hurry up and die because I want what's mine. He goes, he squanders his wealth in wild living and then he's feeding the food to the pigs and he starts to crave the very food of the pigs. You're not supposed to touch pigs in that culture, but he starts wanting the, that food. Then he comes to his senses. Even my father's hired servants eat better than me, perhaps 
If I go back home, my father will welcome me to be one of his hired servants. And then he is restored. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm sensing that today that perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has someone to place on your heart. Now, I don't know who but someone, maybe a face, maybe a name, maybe someone that you've thought about for a long time, maybe someone who has not been on the, on the framework of your mind or your heart for a long time, but someone on your heart. You see, Jesus does something unusual here. He tells three stories in staccato fashion, bang, 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 but in the tradition of teaching, and we all know that no one spoke or taught like Jesus taught. He says essentially the same thing in three different ways. It's like we have Jesus saying, I love the lost. I really love the lost. I really, really love the You want to know my my the layers of my heart, the layers of the heart of God? Well, here it is. Number one, Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost with an irrational determination. 96, 97, 98, 99, the shepherd counts his sheep 99, 99, where is that lost sheep? I've got 99, so, so what if I lose one? No, no, Jesus says, the shepherd makes a statement. He says, I will go to find the one which is lost until I find it. In other words, I will not come back until I find my lost sheep. Dead or alive, I won't come back until I find it. Now, of course, there were economic ramifications to it. He needed to bring something back. If the sheep was dead, at least bring the fleece back. But he had to find the sheep. What Jesus is saying is that one lost person is of magnanimous value to me. The human language is inadequate, so we use the word agape, of the kind of love. I really love the loss. Some say, Danny, what, 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 what do we mean by loss? Well, loss away from God. Some could even say, well, lost in loneliness. You know there's an epidemic of loneliness today. In America, a Harvard study recently tells us that 61% of young people from the ages of 15 and 25 say that they're lonely frequently 
almost all the time, or even all the time? 51% of young mothers and children say that they are miserably lonely. 40% of Americans between the ages of 50 and 80 say they feel lonely and isolated, lost in loneliness. It was Langston Hughes in his poem, The Minstrel Man, who says, writes, because my mouth is wide with laughter and my throat deep with song, you do not think I suffer after. I have held my pain so long. Because my mouth is wide with laughter, you do not hear my inner cry. Because my feet are gay with dancing, you do not know I die. Who is the Lord placing on your heart? A face, a name. Lord, what do we do? But Jesus continues, he says, that's not all. A woman loses a coin. At the time, it was not difficult to lose a coin in a Palestinian home. The, uh, a window might shine light, maybe about 18 inches in diameter. The earth was pressed flat, and reeds and rushes were laid flat to cover the ground. So it was not unusual to, to lose a coin and to have to try to sweep things and move things just to see maybe a sparkle that would indicate there is a coin there or to hear the sound of a ting that would indicate why so valuable well there's a romantic notion in all of this women would wear a headband of 10 coins connecting connected by a silver band. Each coin worth a day's wage. The symbolism of it was that it spoke of her marriage. It was such a sacred piece that one could not even use that to get a loan. One, one could not even put that up that would ever make you indebted to someone else. And so to lose one of those coins, we can now see why the woman was filled with, as we would say, shameless persistence. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost with a shameless persistence. Notice, he uses the example of a, of a woman and, and most women, I take it, take great pride in their homes, but this woman had, in a sense, lost it. She did not care how messy things got. She had to find the coin. 
It's almost like lose, losing your wedding ring. That would be an equivalent today. What would you do? How far would you go to find that ring? That's the sense that we get here. I've come to seek and to save, to save the lost. Shameless persistence. But Jesus goes on. He says, dear ones, I'm not finished. There's more. And he tells the grand story of the son who leaves his father. We call him the prodigal son. One could consider this a story of the loving father. When you talk about agape love. Now, one of the things that really stands out to me in this passage is that the father, after the son is resolute within himself and he says, I will make my way back. Maybe my father would hire me back as a hired servant. As he's coming back, the father sees him. So it's like the dust cloud begins to float up into the sky and the father sees the gaunt figure of an emaciated boy that has some characterization of his son and he says, that's my boy. Keep this in mind as well, that a hired servant was different from the household servant. The household servant was permanent, a permanent fixture in a home. The hired servant could be released at any time, any day, any hour. And so the son had come so low when we think about was he repentant. I just want to go back at the lowest level. What the father does not do is nowhere in the text. He does not say to his own servant, servant of mine, come here. I see a gaunt figure that looks like my son. Go there and tell my son if he wants to be restored with me to get on his knees and crawl back in penance. I want to see the knees bleeding. I want to see the hands scabbed to show that he is truly sorry. No, no, no. You see, here's a revolutionary thought. As Jesus is explaining this in the presence of the Pharisees, the mindset of the Pharisees at the time was far from one sinner who repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. The teaching there was so severe, it was to the point of there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who is punished compared to what Jesus is explaining. That's when he sees the boy coming. The father, the father cannot contain himself. He runs to his son and embraces him. After the Civil War, President Lincoln's close cabinet people thought 
and asked him, they said, Mr. President, how will you treat the Southerners as they come back to the Union? Thinking that he would punish them. President Lincoln says, I will treat them as if they have never left. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost with unconditional love. Is there someone on your heart? Is the Spirit whispering someone? There's a point of application here. The first is take action quickly. Don't overthink, don't overplan. Charles Hanson Town was a poetry professor at Columbia University. And he wrote the poem Around the Corner. It goes like this. Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and Weeks rush on, and before I know it, a year is gone. And I never see my old friend's face, for life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him just as well as in the day when I rang his bell, and he rang mine. We were younger then. Now we are busy, tired men. Tired of playing that foolish game. Tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I say, I'll call on Jim just to let him know I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes. And the distance between us grows and grows. Around the corner, yet miles away, here's a telegram, sir. Jim died today. And that's what we get and deserve in the end. Around the corner, a vanished friend. Take action quickly. James tells us that our lives are like a, like a vapor. Psalm 144 says we're like, a, we're like a shadow, a mist, a cloud. Application number two. Focus on one person, and as you do, make adjustments in life. This is in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22, where Paul says, to the, to the Jew, I become a Jew, to the Greek, a Greek, to the weak, the weak. I, I become all things to all people, he says, that I might by, by all means save some. So 
applicability in our life, in our lifestyle, in our way. Dr. Richard Seltzer was a surgery professor at Yale Medical School. He wrote in his book, Mortal Lessons, Notes in the Art of Surgery. He writes what this one surgeon describes. I stand beside the bed where a young woman lies. Her face post-operative. Her mouth twisted in palsy. Clownish. The tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one connecting the muscles of her mouth, have been severed. It will be thus from now on. The surgeon moved with religious fervor, with every curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor from her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed. And together, they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other, so generously, greedily, the young woman speaks. Will my mouth always look like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. I think it's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is, and I lower my gaze. One is not so bold in the presence of divine love. Slowly he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I so close can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I hold my breath and let the wonder in. My dear ones, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what kind of, of twisting is needed in our lives, is needed in your life to reconnect with, to connect with, to connect more deeply with this Dear one, whom the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has placed upon your heart today.
Because I dare say that in the midst of turmoil, that in the midst of strong conviction socially in this way, strong conviction socially in another way, amidst the fractures and the divisions and the cracks within the body of Christ, our calling has never been more sublime and never been more clear but that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And herein lies the call. Collectively, together, we link arms. And you will reach someone that I could never reach. You will reach someone that your neighbor could never reach. But God in his sovereign plan has chosen you in this season, in this hour, for such a task as this. Will you bow with me for a time of prayer? Lord, we know by faith that you work in supernatural ways and you know what you're doing in the hearts of these dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Even now as we pray, I want to ask you now if the Lord has placed someone on your heart because I'm going to say a prayer over all of us as we move from here today. But just a way of solidifying and clasping hands, figuratively speaking. If the Lord has placed someone on your heart to take action quickly, to, 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 to twist a little bit, just go ahead and look up at me and then we'll pray together. Go ahead and do that. I see you. Yes. I see you there. I see you there. I see you back there. Yes. Amen. Amen. Good. 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 Back there. Yes. I see you. Amen. Hallelujah. Good. Yes. I see you. I see you. Lord, you know all things. And you know what you're doing in the lives and hearts of these dear ones today and in the, the life of Be Free Dover. As they step out in faith, grant them strength, grant them courage, the grace of obedience and the simplicity of just following you as you lead, leaving all things into your hands. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you stand and sing?